our New Testament reading comes from the 10th chapter of Hebrews, 5th verse, going down to the 10th verse, and I am reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, see God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings uh, and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, see, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first order to establish the second. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. Amen. Uh, I want to spend a little time talking today about being in search of the real thing. In search of the real thing. Let us pray. Father God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Allow me to decrease so that you may increase, Lord God, and hide me behind your cross. Let people not see me, but see your word and ask to come into a right relationship with Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, When I was younger, and by younger I mean probably two or three years old, probably about up until the age of give or take 10 or 11. One of my favorite places to go was a place by the name of Showbiz Pizza. Uh, Some of you might not have heard of Showbiz Pizza, especially if you're younger, because it was later bought out by Chuck E. Cheese, and that is now the same company. uh, But it's the same thing. You go, you eat bad pizza, you play games and win tickets to buy gifts and, and uh, you play, play video games as well. But what I enjoyed about Showbiz Pizza was the band. There was a certain area of Showbiz Pizza where you could go to and they had a band that would play. It was a, a band made of animals, a gorilla that played the keyboard and there was uh, different animals that sang. And these animals were made out of robots. Uh, a more technical term would be animatronics. And the reason that they would call it animatronics is because the difference between these animatronics and necessarily robots is that animatronics were designed to appear human. They took painstaking detail in making these animals look human or act like animals instead of just plain machines to the point that they had designed them to make facial expressions. They, they made facial expressions and they actually would design these robots so that they learned how to play instruments correctly. They spent a lot of time with this and Showbiz Pizza was 
was very successful because of these animatronics. That was my favorite part of Showbiz Pizza, these things that appeared real. And I guess because I ended up, maybe it was my natural curiosity uh, or maybe my aptitude of trying to become an engineer, I was always astonished at these robots, these animatronics, and I wanted to know how they worked. I would dream about going behind the stage to see all the circuits and all the computer programmings and everything else in there because I wanted to know how this stuff worked. I'm the kid that took apart radios and TVs because I liked to look at the circuit boards, and so I did this same thing. But long story short, Showbiz Pizza was successful because, and even when they became Chuck E. Cheese, the director of marketing said that he was that was their most successful piece. People came to see the band. That is what made them go. And animatronics has sort of trickled down into our day-to-day -day life because animatronics are no longer just that Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz Pizza. Uh, we put them on our front yards during this time of year. They have Christmas decorations. They may have cows and sheep or reindeer that bow their heads. Little sheep that look like they're bowing to eat the grass. Wise men giving out the gifts to Jesus. Uh, these things are things that appear to be real. There are even some people that go so far with the animatronics that they have baby Jesus in the manger and they've gotten it programmed to where it rises up and down to make it look like the baby is breathing. They are mimicking this so that people can see the, the rise and the fall of, of the swaddling clothes. It makes the scene more lifelike. It's an attempt to make it more real. And when you make something real like that, you engage people on an emotional level and that's how they remember certain things. And while animatronics may enhance our appreciation of certain things, we have to understand that these figures and the complex robots behind them are also used in other things for like the Department of Defense, but no matter how much you use these animatronics, right, it's not a replacement for the real thing. It's not a replacement for the flesh and blood, Jesus Christ. It's not a replacement for any of our other things, the real reason for the season. But we are often concerned about real things. Uh, one of the things I often hear some of our younger folks say all the time is that they keep it 100. There's even an iPhone I, uh, icon that you can put in with a 100 in red text and it's two uh, lines underlined it. And what that means for those who may not be familiar with the term is, is when you keep it 100, that means you are supposed to tell the truth 100% of the time. So someone may use it in a conversation. I'm going to keep it 100, but this is, what, this is what I really think about what was said. This is what I really think about how, this is how I feel about these things. You know, I'm your boy. I'm going to keep it 100. Even though a lot of times those who often say they want to keep it 100 don't necessarily keep it 100% all the time. So often when asked, or, or, or catching someone in a lie, I might ask, well, what would you keep in it back then? 50%? But we are concerned with the real. And sometimes when we are not concerned, even when we're concerned with the real, I, I would submit that that is why a lot of relationships come to an end. 
we have a fantasy about how a relationship is supposed to function. We have a fantasy about how certain things are going to go. And then when the reality does not match the fantasy that we have been holding in our head that the honeymoon period is over. But we are always in search of a real thing. We're in search of something that we can connect with on an emotional level. That is why sometimes we get off and caught up in this season about Christmas. Because we are in search of a real thing. And there are some things about Christmas that we have that are not necessarily real. But we are attached to them emotionally. Now, before I start into some of those things, I will say that I undoubtedly celebrate Christmas. But your ministry is where your misery is. And I went to college and after after I'd gotten out of high school and going to college, a lot of people I saw left the faith because they were not necessarily taught certain things in the church. And when they learned them outside of the world, they then lost faith in everything else that was taught. Because they were taught that if my pastor would lie to me about this, then what else would my pastor lie to me about? Uh, so some of the things that we often get attached to during this time of year that aren't necessarily true, but there's still a reason behind us doing that. Amen. Uh, one of those first things is that Jesus was not born on December 25th. Uh, we, we hear the story about the manger and being wrapped in swaddling cloth and all of these things. And if it was December during that time, it would have been too cold to be outside. Experts have thought that Jesus might have more so been born in the spring. But we celebrate Christmas on December 25th because we are doing that to, to uh, take away. There was different things going on at that time. People would celebrate a lot of other religions and the winter solstice and Mithraism and Saturnalia. And we decided during that time that, OK, if y'all want to celebrate all of these different things during this time, allow us to give you something a little better to celebrate. Amen. So Jesus was not born on December 25th. And, but that does not matter. We celebrate the fact that he was born. I mean, it's not like we're trying to give him a birthday party or anything like that. We're not giving him gifts. This is just the day that we choose to celebrate. Another thing is that there were not three wise men and the wise men did not come see him right when he was born. If you read Matthew and Luke, you'll see that when Herod was putting out the edict to try to kill every baby under two, that at any other time he could have been anywhere between just born and two by the time they got to him. And they were not just three. It was wise men. But we get caught up in that. We get caught up in the fantasy. And so if someone were to tell certain people that there are people that would leave for these different things. Uh, nowhere does it say to put a tree up or reefs or poinsettias. We do that. And there are other religions that do that as well. There are other religions that will go out and pick a fir tree and wrap silver lining around said tree and put presents up under the tree wrapped. We didn't make this up. But why do we do it? Well, we do it because if you were to stop doing everything in Christianity because somebody else was doing it or somebody else did it first, we would have a whole lot more to get rid of than just Christmas. 
we'd have to stop celebrating Easter. There were at least 16 other people before Jesus came that people thought were the Messiah. Why? Because they were being oppressed and they were looking for a savior. Now, this time they got it right. But there were other people out there like a Judas Maccabeus who was able to fight off the Roman uh, army for almost a week. They put out palm trees for him. He rode into town on a donkey. They said Hosanna for him. But then the rest of the Roman army came and he realized he was not the savior. We'd have to give up a whole lot more dipping new initiates in water. We didn't invent that. Meeting on Sundays and having one person stand up in a pulpit and do all the talking. We didn't do that. We we do that, but we didn't do that first. So I I I say that to say that these are all tools. They are tools put away for worship. And what you use your tools for is what matters. And how you use your tools and, and who uses the tools matters. You put a basketball in my hand, it's not worth much. Not at all. I might drain a couple of lucky shots, but I am vertically challenged. The NBA is not for me. But if you put a basketball in Dwight Howard's hands, it's worth a little more. Does that make the basketball good or bad or anything? No, it's a tool. And what you use it for. So we use these tools to worship our soon coming king. We use these tools to worship God. We use these tools to worship Jesus. We use these tools to interact with the Holy Spirit. They're tools. That's what we use them for. We ought not get caught up in the fantasy. We ought to search, search rather for something real. And one of my favorites, I have a few favorites, but one of my favorites, putting an X in front of M-A-S as opposed to C-H-R-I-S-T is not taking Christ out of Christmas. Putting an X in front of M-A-S instead of C-H-R-I-S-T does not take Christ out of Christmas. If anybody ever takes a good look at my right hand, you'll see a funny looking symbol on it. It looks like an X over a P, right? Those are the Greek letters Chi and Rho, which eventually spell out the Greek word Christos, which is Greek for Christ. For a whole bunch of, for, for a very long time, they would not write out the entire word Christ or Christian. They just wrote the X because it's the Greek letter Chi, which is the first letter of Christos. Why? Because they had to use signs and symbols. It was not popular to be a Christian back then. They had to hide the fact that they were Christian. So they met in secret places and you would know based on an X sitting somewhere or maybe a fish. They had these symbols here. So it's not taking Christ out of Christmas. As a matter of fact, my entire seminary process, when the professor is on the board writing notes, they'll use shorthand in order to get the entire thing out. And one of the things that they will write instead of writing Christian when they're teaching a particular class is X apostrophe N. Christian. Shorthand. 
So even if someone thinks they are taking Christ out of Christmas, they're still putting Christ right into Christmas. What you thought would be for evil worked out for good. Taking that X is not taking Christ out of Christmas. And so we are in search for the real thing. And even though we know that Jesus was not born on December 25th, and even though we know that there were not three wise men, and even though we know that nobody told us to put up Christmas trees and wreaths, we just kind of do those things. We are to focus on the real thing. This is why I enjoy Advent, because the entire thing is not about Christmas, but it's about preparation for the soon coming king. It's about preparation for Jesus and not just one year old baby Jesus every year over and over again, but Jesus who is coming back. We are in search of something real. So in the text, when it says, uh, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said that sacrifices and offerings are not desire, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure. Hebrews is calling back to Psalms 40. Six through eight during that part of the text. And in that text, it says sacrifices and offerings you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required, but you said, here I am in the scroll of the book. It is written for me. Delight is what you what you will. Oh, my God, your law, your law is in my heart. It's calling back to it, but it's stepping it up. Uh, which is why. When we talk about certain things that are real, I am always leery of someone that wants to completely throw away the entire Old Testament. The New Testament does not completely throw away the Old Testament. It completes it. When Jesus was quoting scriptures, he's quoting the Old Testament. When Paul is quoting scriptures, he's quoting the Old Testament. We can't just completely throw it away. We can throw away our thinking about it. But we can't have a all you can eat mentality or a buffet mentality where we take certain things and we'll take that and leave this and take that and leave that. It's all together. And so I like that, though, even when you hear it in, in, in uh, sacrifice and offering, you do not desire in Psalms 40 verse six. But you have given me an open ear. But when we get to Hebrews sacrifices and desirings, you have not desired but a body. There is growth. We go from just hearing something to putting our all into it. It's one thing to listen to something. It's a whole nother thing to do it. Are we putting our all into it? If we're not putting our all into it, can we say it's really real? I can tell my wife I love her and she can hear that over and over again, but if I don't put my all into it, do I really love her? You can say you care about somebody. You can say you're concerned about something, anything, but if you put your all into it, is it real? If you don't put your all into it, rather, is it real? We have to be able to graduate from just hearing and talking to doing. We may hear and talk a whole lot, but eventually You don't have to show something for it. And that is what God is doing in this text. He is showing us the superiority of the lamb, the lamb of God. Uh, The lamb has a purpose. Let the church say purpose. Purpose. 
Jesus came for a purpose to offer up himself. The unchanging purpose was Jesus Christ literally brought himself. What he literally did, he willingly accomplished, brought salvation to us. Prior to that, at least once a year, the people in the Levitical priesthood would give a lamb up as a sacrifice. It had to be a spotless lamb, one without blemish, and they would sacrifice that in order to atone for their sins. But Jesus came, and that's why we call him the Lamb of God, because he became the Lamb to take the sin away from the world, so that when he offered his sacrifice, we wouldn't have to do that anymore. That was his purpose. And his purpose was permanent. Let the church say permanent. Once he made his offering, once he died on the cross, it was for once and for all and never needed to be repeated. This is no longer a shadow that they talk about earlier in the the, the 10th chapter, but this is the real thing. This sacrifice was permanent. That's why you have all of these claimants beforehand. They call them messianic claimants. People who thought they were the savior coming beforehand, but after Jesus, there wasn't any more. Because that time it was done correctly. When you get a hundred on a test, you don't need to take it anymore. And these sacrifices and burnt offerings were getting removed by Christ's sacrifice. So that the Levites no longer had to do this. You no longer had a priest going in on your behalf to ask for your sins. You no longer had somebody that had to talk to you to God for God or talk to God for you. Rather, you could do it on your own. So it was permanent. And then we were sanctified. This is the, 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 the once and for all change in our status where we are united by Christ, with Christ, by faith. We are separated from sin's pollution in this way. We are sanctified. We are cleansed, made perfect. And I'm not talking about the sanctification that we have in in the Wesleyan means of grace, where we have the the provenient grace and the justifying grace and the sanctifying grace. This sanctification is the act. When they talk about it here, it's the act of being made whole, of being made clean by Jesus. But it's permanent. Then, although we didn't cover it in your reading, there's patience. Let the church say patience. Uh, right around verse 13, it says, uh, well, from 12, it says, when Christ had offered for a time a single sacrifice of sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since then, he has been waiting until his enemies will be made a footstool under his feet. I've heard the adage that time is the greatest equalizer. But the longer I live, the more I see that come true. The more situations that I've been in where somebody thought they were above everybody else. But yet and still, when it came down to it, everything ended up under the feet. I've literally been on jobs where people would walk by said job, make fun of me for having said job, and only for a couple years later end up having to work in the same place. The job that they thought was too good. I've had people 
treat other people horribly and that person that they were treating horribly end up their boss. They say you have to be careful how you treat people on the way up. Why? Because you might see them on the way down. And in that equalization, it takes patience. And Jesus has patience. And I think about that as I, I, as I was up this morning uh, preparing for the sermon. I, I came across a video. And right now, it seems really popular to be an atheist. It seems to be extremely popular to be an atheist and think that you are being scientific and logical in your way of trying to prove that God doesn't exist. I don't understand how you can prove God doesn't exist and you still be alive. That doesn't make sense to me. And in that kind of situation, I would rather believe and be wrong than not believe and be wrong. Because we all are going to be equalized. The grave is the great equalizer. But it's been popular. And I, at first, I would get upset about these things. And when I'd get upset about it, I'd spend my time trying to argue with every atheist out there. No, going back and forth. But I don't have to. Well, number one, they say not to argue with fools because people from a distance can't tell who is who. That's the first reason I, I, I've learned not to do it. But the second reason I've learned not to do it is to exhibit some patience. So if Jesus can be patient until every enemy is under his feet, I think I can hold off just a little bit so I can be patient. Why? Because it says just a little bit longer right after that when he's waiting till every enemy is under his feet. It tells us later that every uh, someday he's going to purify all the hearts. This is the covenant that I've made with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and I will write them into their minds. It also reminds that I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. He's waiting. He's waiting. And he's being patient until every enemy is under his feet. So I don't argue about what's real. I don't worry about what's real. Because that's not necessarily what I need to do. So I don't worry about whether or not this other person who I just met that doesn't even really like me and I'm somehow have wrangled myself into an argument with them. I don't worry about that anymore. I don't worry about what's real anymore. On that end, because I know it's real. And so whether or not somebody else tries to tell me it's not real, I know it's real. Jesus is real, real to my soul. I know it's real. I know. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe if you believe in God, believe also in me. I know that's real. I know it's real that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not Christ who lives in me. But it's not I who lives rather, but the Christ who lives in me. I know that's real. I don't have to argue about that. I don't have to debate about it. I don't have to prove it to anybody else. It's real. I know what else is real. My son, forget not my commandments. Forget not my laws, but let my heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the tables of thine heart so thou shalt find favor and good understanding in the sight of both God and man. I know that's real. I know it's real when it says trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. I know that's real. I know it's real to honor the Lord with my substance and the first fruit of all my increase. I know that that is real. And so I don't debate such things anymore because it's real. It's real that Jesus came down through 42 generations. It's real that he was born of a virgin and suffered under Pontius Pilate. It was real when he went to Golgotha, a.k.a. the place of the skull. It was real when he took that beating for me that I should have taken. It was real when they mocked him and put a crown of thorns on him. It was real when he, when he was on the cross and told them, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. It was real when he said, into thy hands I commit thy spirit. It was real. It was real when they cast it lot over his clothes. It was real when they took him and put him in a borrowed tomb. And it was a borrowed tomb because it was real that he wasn't going to be there long. It was real that they took a rock, put the rock inside the rock, and covered the rock with a rock. But the rock on the inside of the rock was better than the rock on the outside of the rock. It was real. And it was real that he rose again from the dead three days later with all power in his hand. It was real. And it's real that that's not where the story ends. It's real that when the trumpet sounds and the sky splits, that he's going to come back again. It's real that whosoever shall believe in him shall not have, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's real. It's real that the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall not be perished, but have everlasting life. You shall be saved. That's real. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.